Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gasser, and I'm with Honky. This vo- polar vortex sucks. It's time for spring. Let's talk some football. All right. And I'm also with Boomer. Well, I'm just excited that uh, finally we might get that West Coast-Nebraska connection. I've got this whole idea for some Calabrasca t-shirts that we could roll out. I think that'll be a big <laughs> hit. That's great. Novel idea. Uh, and we must be talking football because Mac is back on the show. What is up, Redcasters? Hey, Nebraska basketball fans. I'm back. The hurting's almost over. We're going to talk a little spring football. We're going to get through this. It, it, come join me. <laughs> well, uh, we we may just touch on Nebraska basketball and Nebraska baseball later in the show, but uh, it is uh, getting close to spring football, and we had some breaking news today as well, Honky. We have a new defensive line coach that will be uh, here for spring ball. Uh, we have Tony Tua Oti, I believe, or something close to that. I'm sure we'll get his name right uh, here soon when we get to meet him. But uh, the hire uh, is official as of today. And this is a defensive line coach for the Cal Bears, Cal Berkeley. Been there for the last two years. Prior to that, he was at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh as a uh, recruiting coordinator, I believe. And then prior to that was Cleveland Browns. And then he was... Uh, uh, in Hawaii, uh, both, I believe, high school and at, at the university. He played football at Hawaii with the Fighting Rainbows and um, been coaching for almost 20 years now, Honk. Some, someone must have wanted to uh, take that path after uh, playing uh, in, in college football f- for um, uh, quite a while. What do you think about the hire? Well, I think it definitely adds something different to the staff that they didn't have before. Uh, you know, I had mentioned right away after Dawson had left that Perella was the name out there, and Perella would have been a, a great candidate. Maybe he was a candidate, maybe he wasn't. But at the very least, I don't know that he would have brought something different the way that obviously uh, two O T <laughs> brings Tony three T's. Yep. Tony, <laughs> Tony three T's right now, right? Um, but yeah, you think about it, we have Noah Pola Gates here now, and. You know, he announces at the Polynesian Bowl. And now we bring in uh, a new coach who, who brings that entire coast to us. He brings something different than what we had before. And in Frost's case, I mean, that makes complete sense. We, we're a national recruiting uh, program. Uh, our staff is definitely southeast-based and Midwest-based. And this is somebody that brings us a, another area. Mac, your thoughts? You know, I keep a, a list of five 
defensive line coaches <laughs> at all times in my in my desk drawer because you never know. And I'm, <laughs> honestly, I mean, like, who? Do, honestly, I, I have no idea. Like, I had no expectations for the defensive line ho- coach except that one, I hoped he came from a three four. Mm-hmm. And then, two, you were hoping he had some sort of connections or some sort of footprint that we didn't have currently on the staff. And 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 three, but not the least important, uh, honestly, the most important, does he fit with the staff, um, with the personality? One of the things I think is kind of the secret sauce with this coaching staff is their chemistry. So presumably he kind of checks at least that box as well. So, you know, I, there's there's nothing not to like on his resume. Me, Matt, you, you're you hit it a hundred percent. The Polynesian connection is, you know, that is something that, uh, has been made an emphasis and, uh, and that this takes a step towards it. And it, yeah, he checks a lot of boxes. So I'm, I'm thrilled with it. I can, uh, I'll have to refresh my list now on my top defensive line coaches in the Browns. Well, or in the his, you know, the three, the four thing that you mentioned makes a lot of sense yeah. too, by the way. We well, want to be developer. You know, that's the thing. I want a developer more than a recruiter, honestly, and and I'm I'm hoping that's what this guy is. He he is a three four defensive line coach at Cal, but prior to that, he's also been an outside linebacker coach within the three four. So here, you know, you're hitting multiple areas, and a lot of, there's a lot of overlap. We've talked about this on multiple shows where guys like an Alex Davis or or Caleb Tanner and different players. The, the difference at times between D end and outside linebacker that there's so much overlap between some of these players. And here's a guy that's coached both of those positions. Uh, he can bring some expertise in addition to, uh, you know, I hit the recruiting piece right away, but there's other expertise that he brings that, that maybe the staff didn't have as much of before. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's a good point. Uh, he obviously has been uh, coaching for a while and uh, definitely has the expertise in the 3-4. Seems like at Cal he has had success developing uh, that D-line very quickly with uh, some significant improvements. So, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, honestly, let's hope he sticks around for a while. I'd love to see, uh, you know, if Dawson uh, wanted to go, let's have uh, Tony T stick around for several years and really add some consistency to that D-line coaching position. All right, guys. Tony well, T. I like I like that. Tony T. Yeah, Tony T. Uh, <laughs> or Tony Three Ts. However you like to say it. Um, well, uh, we'll learn more about uh, Tony T. Uh, uh, eventually here uh, during spring football. I'm sure we'll get a uh, interview or two. But uh, that's on the defensive side. Let's actually maybe start uh, with uh, offense. We'll get to defense maybe next week. Actually, but we want to focus uh, kind of a breakdown by position on the offensive side of the ball. So let's uh, do some scoring explosion, guys. Scoring explosion, the offensive breakdown. All right, Honk, let's uh, start with the quarterback position. And I don't think there's a big mystery here who's on the top of the depth chart. Uh, Adrian Martinez has had that on lockdown. But uh, in there's always a, a QB battle of some sorts, right? And I think there's a really interesting one for the backup position here because we have Andrew Bunch who started a game last year and picked up a lot of experience. You have Norwood Vedral with a full year um, um, back in the system, uh, transferring from UCF. And then we have the incoming freshman who's in for spring already, Luke McCaffrey from uh, Highlands Ranch, Colorado. And uh, I think it's really, to me, just up in the air. I think these guys will have to be out there proving it day in and day out this spring and who's going to be backing up Adrian. Honky, you have a, a sense on 
uh, you know, between Bunch and Vedral, for example, who has really the inside track? Well, not yet, but I will say what we have with Bunch, we have a player that put himself into that portal, into the transfer portal, and has decided to stick around here. Now, everything that we're going to talk about with the players that are that are on the list right now, these are people that are actually in spring ball, that are playing, that are on the team right now in spring. There's nobody being added to the roster in Q, at the QB ranks after spring ball. I mean, this is what we have right now is is, is what we're going to be playing with next year. I think we have a walk-on actually from, from Carney coming in, but – Essentially, oh, yeah, the yeah. five guys that we have right now, Martinez, Bunch, Vedral, McCaffrey, and then Masker, yeah, uh, the, right. the redshirt freshman walk-on, uh, that's, that's who we have in the room. You know, Bunch, to your point there, Dave, I almost forget about this. It's, it seems so long ago, but he started that game against Troy. He played in other games as well. Uh, Vedral is he's kind of the the solid backup guy. No matter what, I don't know if he's going to be second or third string, whatever, but he's a guy that he's the solid backup guy, knows the system, he's going to be here for a while. Uh, and then McCaffrey kind of becomes the dark horse. And, and, Mac, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about him. I mean, here's a guy, he's here right now, uh, great family ties and, and, and history, you know, with, with the game. And I just think of where we were at a year ago right now and I compare it to now what, what's going on going on in that quarterback room, it is just night and day difference. A year ago right now, we still had Patrick O'Brien. Yeah. And to think about that we have we had no experience at all at the quarterback spot, almost no snaps a year ago. And today we've got an all American candidate, you know, coming back. And we have guys like Bunch who started. We have Vedro who has played now for multiple years in this offense. We have the, the next big kind of player, McCaffrey, on campus, and, and even a guy like Masker, who at least is, has some experience now here. We're in such a better spot. Athlon's had us, I think, the number two quarterback uh, Ten, position yeah. group in the Big Ten behind Michigan um, and only Michigan. So, I mean, that's a, a year-to-year change. Unbelievable. That, Just That was an intriguing ranking that Athlon had us as the number two quarterback room in the Big Ten. That almost has to almost entirely be on Adrian Martinez's shoulders. I mean, I don't know how they got to that ranking without putting a lot of emphasis on his abilities. Uh, because the other three, I, I mean, I think Bunch is great that he started a game and Vettel's got experience, but neither one of them like shined in those moments last year. And and Luke, I think, Mac, I'll, I'll ask you to talk a little bit about Luke McCaffrey. I, I'm excited about him too. But a lot of people think that he might ultimately be a better fit in a different position, like one of his brothers with wide receiver or whatever. And I, I think it, they're going to give him all the opportunities to shine at quarterback. And it, long-range potential, he, he's clearly the next after Adrian Martinez from a from a, an ability standpoint, I would guess, as being that explosive uh, playmaking quarterback. You think he sticks at, at quarterback uh throughout the 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 year here yeah yeah actually really i do i think uh i think he could actually be a pretty important piece to next year's success um you know frost has already singled him out in a press conference talking about how quickly he's learned the offense and and how hungry he is and he's sort of the pied piper of that freshman group and how and how leadership is, was kind of a premium for that recruiting class and to hear about him being sort of a, a leader amongst leaders that's a good sign for the quarterback position. That's probably one of your number one signs. And then you pair that with uh, 
genes and bloodlines that you know are good. He's a he's an athlete to be sure. He's got a he's got a pretty serviceable arm, and you know you trust Verduzco's ability to to kind of harness and create that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that, like you said, what a difference a year makes, right? But think about this, you know, you've got Noah Vedral who is. He's really he's really the kind of the key that lets you to kind of play around and experiment with, with this because Vedral is not going anywhere. The kid's already stated that he wants to be a coach going forward and he's gonna he's gonna ride he's gonna ride this position he has right now to learn from Frost, to learn from Walters, to, to become a coach later on in life, you know. And he's gonna use that to be like a GA position, whatever. So we've got this guy as a security blanket, as a as a pretty serviceable backup, while we kinda groom a young guy like McCaffrey, who might be a little more dynamic and more of a playmaker, yeah. in case Something happens to Martinez. Mm. Knock on wood. God forbid. You know, curse my mouth. You know, but I'm just saying um, to to really to really like kind of feel good about this season. You know, for them, like you said, Dave, to put us at number two in the Big Ten. That's that's kind of ridiculous, honestly. I mean, like, are they basing it off of of a bunch of start against Troy in which we lost? Well, well because it, that's not a good thing. You know, like Michigan was clearly a pretty good it, number one. It certainly says how much they think of Martinez. That's for sure. I mean, yes. and what a great season he had. I, I will say that we worry so much about starters getting hurt, and for all the right reasons, my goodness, nobody nobody wants to see Martinez get injured next season. But, you know, I I challenge most people to, to name a bunch of backups on the other teams as well. I mean, well, this, right, but we're, we're, we lost the game that he didn't start last year sure. to Troy. And, like, that should not even be a possibility this year. If he were to go down because Colorado plays dirty. <laughs> uh, but if but, he were to go down and then we get – and we have we have Luke McCaffrey or a seasoned Vedral Ved, to come yeah, in. Yeah, Vedral, Vedral wasn't available against, you know, yeah. against Troy, right. obviously. My, my point is that you hear this from everybody. It's not just a Nebraska thing. It's like, you know, if Clemson didn't have – Lawrence, you know, at the end of last season, they would have been affected, right? I mean, everybody short of Bama last year who could, you know, somehow have Tua get hurt and still have Hurts around, short of that, not too many teams can go two or three deep at quarterback anymore. And so am I worried if something would happen to Martinez? Absolutely. But we're in such better position. And the other thing that we're in better position about is that you mentioned it, Mac, with the athleticism, is that we're finally, I do think at a point, Finally is a weird word because we're only 14 months into Frost being here. But It's been a hell of a lot longer. <laughs> but we all know it. <laughs> but we're at a point where I think he feels the guys that he has in that room match the athleticism of what he wants at the position at least. That's sure. different from a year ago when you still have P.O.B. and even Jebbia. And God bless Jebbia. We sat there. We tried to. We watched him in those practices last year at the coaches clinic. We watched him and we – we wanted so badly for him to to be this great athletic fit for the offense, and it was going to be a stretch. But you know he was going to be serviceable, right? McCaffrey's not serviceable in this offense. McCaffrey can run it. Vedral has the athleticism yeah. to be able to run it. It's all square pegs, round holes. Last year, yes. And and if if we have three guys on scholarship that we feel really good can run this and have the athleticism, and then you still have even an experienced back four string guy, that's where I just feel like we're just. We're more solid. Are we the number two in the conference? To your point, Dave. Yes, that's a that's no. We are. <laughs> We're number two. We could be number one, right? Bank it. I mean, I'm typically them all. when you have, I mean, you're, you're having a deeper quarterback room. It's because you have 
two guys that are battling for that first position, right? And you're like, oh, you have two options there that are, right. are good, right? You know, mm-hmm. and if you're Clemson, you have two really great options or Alabama, right? But I mean, it's really clear who who the the number one guy is. Let me throw this out to you guys. Um, I mean, I, I think the most logical situation that occurs is that Adrian Martinez continues to progress from his freshman year to, to sophomore year, and he's going to be that much better and that much better in Frost's offense, et cetera, et cetera. But there is such thing as the sophomore slump, right? We hear that uh, applied across different sports. Is there any chance that there's a just because of all the expectations thrown on Adrian, et cetera, he has a little bit of a hiccup maybe early in the year where he just has a game that doesn't quite everything goes right. And, you know, you're like, oh, you know, maybe he's not advancing quite as fast as everybody wants him to do. Yeah, you know, you hate to sound overconfident about something like that. And you <laughs> you're going to say no. <laughs> you also don't want to underestimate the value of a Divino Zigbo and a Stanley Morgan being gone. Those guys yeah. were very yeah. productive players, and the lack of them early on in the season might manifest in it looking like Adrian struggled. Those were big-time playmakers, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, uh, I – the only thing I, I even would hesitate with Martinez, and we've said this on previous shows, he had such a great freshman year that he could conceivably, from a stats perspective, he might take a step back a little bit, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, that he isn't being as successful or whatever. He had, he had an amazing statistical freshman year. I mean, it was okay. I mean, well, he, I mean if I mean, you look at UCF... He, his he, his, his I mean, touchdown to interception ratio wasn't off the charts for a guy who played most of the year. In this kind of offense, it really wasn't. Sure. I mean, he had like 17, what was that, 17, 18 touchdowns. 18 and passes. 7, I think, was his. his yeah, rush. so, I mean, yeah. that's not incredible. That's, yeah. that's now, really the, not. The his, passing percentage that he completed, which was a number that every single quarterback dating back to Crouch would talk about coming into the season. <laughs> In this 70. offense, I should be able to complete 70% of my passes, and then no one comes remotely close. He actually was doing it. You know, he was in, what, 65%, whatever I think it ended up being. 62, I thought. Again, I think it's a number that can go up. It, it, it can, and it, it will just – we'll see. You know, do we become a bigger play offense than what we were a year ago? Yes. Because that might lower yeah. some percentages if you're taking a few more chances. Who knows? I don't know if we will be that or not. We it, we can be throwing nothing but side passes to every duck R receiver we have on the team next year, and that's going to be look very efficient. Who knows? Um, I, I do think that the quarterback room is an interesting one because you go back to the great years, the the nineties, the and really when you had Frazier and Berenger, it looked like the greatest quarterback room in the world. But it was two dudes, to your point, Dave, it was two guys that could compete, and then behind them it was like, Oh yeah, we forgot to recruit number three and four and five. Or actually yeah. Yeah. Or they, actually they we, lost a lot of guys, right? Yeah. Actually we recruited those guys and then yeah. the Ben Rootses would leave or Tony Beelum would become safety and and you'd have attrition in a number of ways, but you were left with two guys and then a walk-on. Or Frost, the last national championship team we have, you know, that wasn't a, a stocked room. You had Frankie London and, you know, Bobby Newcomb and Crouch were, were true freshman guys yep, at that point. that's right. Listen, that's, that's, that's going to happen to us, too. You know, like, that happens to Alabama. That happens yeah. to Clemson. If we're going to recruit the yep. top quarterbacks in the, in the nation, they're not going to hang around to be a career backup. So we're yeah. going to have to kind of get used to yep. that kind of you, game. We're going to have to recruit them hard. We're going to have yeah. to get the best ones. And whatever, competition. You've said, you've said that yeah. so many times, the Competition Mac. will decide who starts. You and know? It's, yeah. it, it's so true. I can't get all panicky about it, you, you know? Think, it doesn't matter who you are. 
Clemson loses a quarterback that goes to Missouri. Georgia loses a quarterback who's now at Ohio State. Alabama loses a quarterback who's now at Oklahoma. And because the NCAA just makes up rules every year, apparently they can play right away. So that's right. who knows? Yeah, that's right. You know, um, Boomer, I'm going to bring you in here on a complete uh, side note a little bit on this career backup idea, which is intriguing to me in some sense. Uh, it's uh, almost like, you know, the best position you could possibly be is like – deep snapper or something, but maybe career backup quarterback who doesn't even really have an expectation of starting is a pretty darn good position too. Noah Vedrill, I, I, I don't know if I've ever heard him say this, but everybody says he, he just wants to be a coach and he wants to learn from the best, so he wants to be in this offense. And so we may never see Noah play a significant amount of time, but you know how much coaches get paid these days I don't think it's a bad idea to be in a offensive system that you want to learn from the best and then go off and, and within a few years you could be making a couple hundred thousand a year as an assistant coach and if you can make Scott Frost money someday that's uh, probably smarter than even playing the NFL. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. And you know, first off, I'm just filling in the backup role here, just admiring you know Mac being back and uh, are you getting banter with Honky? Yeah, this is quite yeah. good. Yeah, so <laughs> really enjoying every bit of this. This is the way to do it. So. No, I, I'd agree. I think there's a lot of value to that, especially for somebody like, uh, you know, Vedral, if he wants to follow in a coach and you know, kind of a different style of coach, not just the typical, you know, pro-style coach that everyone yeah. learns from. This this is a great way to do it. You know, you're learning from somebody else, learning something different, uh, kind of a more unique offense that you can take elsewhere. And one that I seems wonder... to be kind of growing in popularity. I mean, even in the NFL, they're looking to take more chances at, kind of more adventurous type coaches like this or different sort of you know offensive schemes that probably is actually a smart move on his part that's what yeah. he really wants to do Be- before uh, washington state uh Michu, right before gardner Michu, before he went to washington state he was at east carolina and he had actually committed to transferring doing a grad transfer to alabama because he just wanted to essentially get the experience in the saban system because he wants to be a coach uh, so I'd ask Honky or, or or Mac. I mean, is it worth a scholarship? Um, you know, to offer an in-state kid or someone who, you know, is gonna be around for five, four or five years, always be that safety valve just in case you have someone who gets injured, but you know he's gonna know the offense really well, and and because you are recording recruiting four or five star guys that may transfer out after a couple of years if they don't get their break, you always have someone in the system that knows how to run the the Scott Frost offense. It, if two things, if they can run the offense, if they have the athleticism, right, then by, I think by all means you give the you give a scholarship to somebody that, that can do that and can do that for four to five years in your system. Um, as, as is, they've shown the last two years they've gone into the city of Kearney and took Masker out of, out of Kearney Catholic, and I can't think of the other kid's name, unfortunately, but the Kearney High guy they got this year. These were kids that could have gone D2. They could have, you know, had – other scholarship offers and have chose to walk on. So either way, you're building depth and guys that can be here for four or five years and, and be more than serviceable. I mean, Mac and I were talking about off air, kind of the Doug Petersons of, of Nebraska football is not a terrible concept because there is such volatility at the scholarship level, at the, especially the high four and five star kind of guys. You're seeing it everywhere. And Mac, you've hit on it so many times. I think you're 100% right is that those positions my gosh, if you're not playing in a year or two and you're a four-star quarterback, you're gone. That, it just seems like that's, that's become such the trend. I don't necessarily like it. I, I, I remember hearing and I've read so many things on, you know, when Beringer was here and he'd room with Aunt Aaron Graham and Graham was his, his roommate and, and 
Berenger back then talked about, you know, the transferring potentially. And it was really just having those conversations and having someone like Graham saying, you just never know. You never know if you're going to get a chance. The one thing, and I don't know if this is a positive or negative, but Mac kind of hit on this too. We run an offense and Frost isn't scared to, to allow that quarterback to run a little bit. We run an offense where a guy might, you know, get tweaked here or there. And hopefully nothing season ending kind of stuff. But I think a backup, I think we're all looking at this list of QBs and saying that we're not shocked if one or two of them have to make some plays next year, you know? So hopefully Martinez, you know, stays clean the whole season, but it wouldn't shock us if he, you know, gets a bumper bruise here or there. That's Frost isn't scared to do that with them. Nope. Absolutely. All right, guys. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, let's uh, move on over to the running backs. So with the running backs, we have a situation right now where Maurice Washington, his status is really undefined for spring ball, definitely. And so I don't know if we want to spend a whole lot of time on, on Mo. He may or may not be there. Uh, we know he's kind of a known quantity. So I think we could spend a little bit more time on some of the other guys that are uh, there for spring ball. And, and it's a limited group in that sense in the, because we have a, a couple of true freshmen and our Juco running back, Diedrich Mills, coming in later this year. So let's focus on a couple of guys we uh, have had in the program for a while and we could see uh, play significant time here during the, the spring practice. Uh, White Mazur, it would be one that comes to mind. And then also Jalen Bradley. Uh, Mac, Jalen is a guy that you have been a fan of for a long time, but he seemed to really slip off the radar last year with the coaching change. And uh, I don't think he even got into a game, if I'm not mistaken, right? They ended up redshirting him. So do you feel like this is a, a shot here during the spring for Jalen to, to make a step forward again? Yeah, I mean, this is probably his his last shot if if you look at it because because of what you kind of alluded to, Tompkins, uh, Ramirez, Johnson, and Mills not being available. I mean, and and Washington status being up in the air, it's him and Missouri, possibly Miles Jones, possibly whatever they want to do with Wandell. But I mean, here's a chance to really grind out and 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 make your mark. You're right. I really liked this film coming out of high school, and they ran more of a spread attack. Uh, at his high school level too. So I don't think it's something he's not capable of. He's one of those guys where I feel like we're missing some of the story on him because uh, from a talent perspective, I I just don't feel like I viewed him incorrectly. I feel like he's got some ability. So you wonder uh, what's keeping him off the field. Now, could he be like, we're always looking for that divine Ozigbo of this year or or what, who's the guy that steps up that we've had on campus for a while. He's been working with the strength staff now for two off seasons. So I really do hope that he makes a jump because it's going to be an interesting position, but you know, Mazur, I know that's a guy you love, Matt. He represents all the things you you love about Husker football. What do you think? He's a scholarship senior. And, uh, and he's a guy that, when you think of where Zigbo, we're going to talk. You're going to hear so many stories. Every player is going to be the next Zigbo, right? <laughs> we're going to hear about this for years to come. Because he wasn't Azigbo even did. a Zigbo until end of the season, right? I mean, yeah. so keep that. What Zigbo did last year is very unnatural. I mean, it doesn't happen that a guy that it turns on his senior year, it turns on halfway into his senior year like that, and. Right now, Missouri's not a guy that I would think long-term most people are looking at and saying this guy's going to you know, be playing meaningful downs for us. But you just you never know. And here's your chance, especially if Washington isn't getting snaps right away in spring ball. We don't know that situation. Certainly, Dedrick Mills, as you, may, as you mentioned, Dave, he, him not being here, 
I mean, it opens up opportunities for guys like Mazur and Bradley to get some snaps. Guys, for our listeners that may not know the roster as well as you two, can, uh, what are the um, the sizes uh, we're talking here? Wyatt Mazur and Jalen Bradley. Is Wyatt Mazur height, weight, yeah. speed? He's 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 five. He's one of those five eight, one eighty guys. Right. He might be a little heavier now. Now he just he just posted something about. I think he put what did he say? He squatted six fifty this last week. Yeah, so everybody's squatting six fifty. So his team. weight could have gone up. Now, uh, Jalen Bradley's a little taller, 5'11". You, they always fudge a little bit, right? So 5'11 yeah, yeah. to 6 foot, 200 to 210. Do you feel like you know, Jalen could, could continue to add weight and really become – because I guess when we were recruiting him, I thought of him as a bit of a speed guy or like, you know. But uh, could he start filling that out and, and, and being that role here eventually? Why yeah. at 5'8", you know, I'm not seeing that, right? No, but, not at all. I, I just looked him up, uh, Bradley, and he's listed at 210. But this is an interesting question, Dave, because we'll usually find out more in the next week right before spring ball starts. Yeah, he You'll might not s- even be on the team. We don't even know. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you find out a lot of things like that. But but also, we just the team is just getting done right now with their second uh, winter conditioning with Duvall. And... You know, someone's listed at 210 and they come out and they're 218 or 225 or 230. Right. Or right. vice versa, they've lost the weight. So we'll find out some new weights on these guys more than likely across the board, right? But I think, you know, one of the things that that uh, Bradley brought his freshman year, that guy showed under Riley, he showed a burst that we needed well, he was that still time. In, he was still in shape from his high school lifting It was basically, yeah, was basically <laughs> just a high school kid out there running. But he had some speed. And um, we didn't see a lot of him catching balls out in the flat and stuff. I mean, that's one thing that, that your Zigbo excelled in. For being a big back, Zigbo could catch the ball out there and, 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 and showed some speed, some breakaway speed that I think shocked us. And yeah. that's the thing that I want to see with Bradley and Missouri. I'm a little interested to see in spring ball here. A year ago, our guys with that first offseason, they got bulky in spring. And that was just part of the process. It was just get big, lift for the first time, squat for the first time, you know, in a while, get big, and then we're gonna take some of that off in the summer and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna trim down. Does the same thing happen here? Maybe guys are five or ten pounds bigger in spring than they're gonna be come season, or are they just that much further into the process to where that doesn't happen anymore? I I, I don't know. Yeah, I remember Mikhail Wilbon last last oh, he spring. Was huge. He, he he just got so big and round and big, but like kind of a similar situation as to what Jalen Bradley has. Uh, there just wasn't a lot of people there because Trey's was a little in question. He went down by the end of the spring, but you know, like he got a chance to shine. He was overbulked and he didn't do very well, and his season kind of reflected that play. So hopefully that's not what happens this time. You're right. It, it was just sort of a weird transitional period. You know, guys were gaining a ton of muscle weight all of a sudden because of, you know, lifting for the first time. Obvious, re- you know, reasons, <laughs> you know, that are more in dispute than I had realized by some people about, uh, you know, Duvall's ability as a strength coach, but whatever. I, we're going to look a little bit, we're going to look a lot different this year. Yep. Um, We'll see how it. We'll see how that translates to play on the field. One can only assume that it would, it, but but you know, once yeah. it rubber no, hits absolutely. the road. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I get, my question really was just wondering if you know Jalen Bradley. Do you feel like bulking up is going to give you a better opportunity to fill a role in this offense, right? Whereas, um, I mean, the next two guys we're going to talk about, Miles Jones and, and Wando Robinson, are these hybrid guys, right? 
uh, duck our position guys. You may see them in the backfield. They may be in the running back room, but they're also in the wide receiving room. And uh, that's something that sounds like very different than what Jalen Bradley uh, fills out. So, guys, talk a little yes. bit about uh, Wandell's in for spring. I hear great things. Go figure. Miles uh, mm-hmm. Jones, though, is kind of like in that same role. Uh, we heard great things about him last year. He had an injury bug, never really got in the, uh, to play that much. He, he did have one game. He had an, one or two explosive plays, and that was it. Uh, how do you feel like uh, they'll try to manage those two guys in spring ball between the two different position groups? That's a great question there. I mean, how they choose to do that, Duck, are if Washington is, is playing full snaps too, I, I would throw him right in that mix too. We're going to – there's going to be a – this is going to be an ongoing recruiting position that Frost is looking at is speed, speed, speed. I throw Ramir Johnson in that once he gets here too, is that we're going to have guys that are going to kind of be able to play a little bit of both. Um, we're pretty much a one back offense. Most of the time, sometimes I do a little two back, but so we see if you want to get on the field and you're a running back, being able to line up outside in a receiver position is, is only going to benefit you. Miles um, Jones, you mentioned it, Dave, we just need, some, he just needs to be healthy, and that I think that really you know hurt him as much last year as anything. But for him to be able to come back here, I mean he he adds an element to the offense that we didn't have last year until Washington really started you know coming on. And Wandell Mac, I'll let you talk a little bit about him. He's built a little differently, but um, you know as we we've, we've read on the interwebs, uh, you know he's had the most amazing off season of lifting ever. <laughs> I love those stories. Everyone's yeah. got them right, yeah. but hopefully it's true. Hopefully he's, hopefully he's, he's, he's taken to Duvall and everything that he's doing with them. Yeah. Well, clearly his attitude's right. I mean, he's, he's in there working. So regardless of what the results are, the numbers are, I mean, you can, you can trust that he's, he's in there grinding, but uh, you know, that the duck car position is going to be an interesting one going forward. I haven't, as far as this offense goes, it's the one position I haven't really got my, my handle on like is it going to be are are we experimenting now with the personnel that we have or or do we are we starting to recruit for what we want that position to actually be because in my mind is is Wandell that perfect uh duck R is Miles Jones that kind of that perfect duck R or is a guy more like a Maurice Washington is it going to be a body type or like an explosion type or is it even going to matter like some of this stuff just seems like doesn't even why are we even breaking this down it's like there's quarterback lineman and then everybody in the backfield can do what everybody else does yeah tight ends oh, I, yes yeah. and tight ends but like everybody else is like oh we recruited that guy well, he's 510 he's 175 to 210 to 61 those guys play everywhere as long as you run a sub 44 so to, to dave i okay i'll try to break it down a little bit here but to dave's point there like Earlier, like when we think about a Zigbo, nobody would say a Zigbo was a duck R. That wasn't there was no confusion there. Even though he was way faster than any of us thought he he was gonna be coming into the season. And he had really good hands. I mean, he could catch the ball well, sure. and yet we would somehow identify him as okay, he's not a duck R. Now, for all we know, he may have been doing duck R things on some plays. I have no idea. But but we Word would the street is he did some duck art, <laughs> but but we wouldn't identify him as a duck art. I for whatever reason I could be totally wrong, but like Diedrich Mills, I don't identify as being a duck art. Again, could be a fast guy. Yeah, could, I know what you're saying. I know what you're you know, saying. There's a body type that's sort of yeah. like okay, at this weight, at anything yeah. over two ten, it's like well, you're not a duck art anymore. Jalen Bradley, Jalen Bradley, in my mind, doesn't fit that. Tompkins doesn't fit that coming in. But Ramir Johnson, when he gets here, the guy just ran up. 41 whatever in the 
400. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, State, just yeah, ridiculous numbers. Lazy. And so I could see Johnson falling into that. Wandell Robinson falls into it. Miles Jones. Missouri falls into it. Yeah, and then yeah. you have Missouri's Washington. A, and, I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys that can kind of fall into that. And basically what I think of is I think of a scat back. I think of a guy that's the third down back in, in, in the pros. That, Dave Meggett. Yeah, you're smaller, <laughs> faster. And obviously the guy that's going to get talked about all the time right now in college football is Rondell Moore. You know, so who's the who's the next Rondell Moore? And I just I see us having like three or four guys that that at least fit that mold. I'm not calling them Rondell sure. Moore. I mean, you look at Rondell Moore's stats. Mac, if you look at Rondell Moore's stats, you probably would actually categorize him as a wide receiver. Oh, for sure. I mean, right? absolutely. I mean, and I kind of feel like that's what he what what Wandale will be here is more of a wide receiver. I just don't foresee us like handing him off a bunch of, you know, and letting him like do his own reads. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, we've got a yeah. ton of bodies back there. He's best in space. I think the staff knows that. You know, I don't, I don't even, I really don't even understand this running back talk at all with him. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But however yeah. they end up using him, like on a speed sweep or something like that, I suppose. Now, he'll get carries, but it won't be like carries where he's, you know, off tackle it'll be sweeps i also think with duck R, I think of a guy that that could be lying back up and or lying back and catching punts and kickoffs yep, and that, sure. that's an area where rondell moore made a a big yeah. impact for purdue obviously washington's been back there i could see a missouri back there jones miles jones spielman when, I mean, yeah. spielman wandell robinson yeah that's the thing and spielman is as much of spielman. a duck R to me in body type and like that's that's what i'm saying it's like yeah J.D. Spielman could easily be the duck car. Well, there's your transition to receiver. I, I, I was just ready, ready to move. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go to uh, wide receiver. J.D. Spielman, obviously our number one returning threat there. Uh, the catch passes from Adrian Martinez. And we have a lot of guys competing for those other positions. Um, let's start with J.D. just for a little bit there, guys. Do you, I mean, you just said, you, you, did you feel like J.D. filled the role of duck car last year as well? Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, I really do. I mean, I, I think in those those games where we were having a hard time getting the offense going, um, that JD really did a good job of filling that role. Um, he's super consistent with his hands. He's pretty good after the catch, and um, yeah, that and it kind of kind of just sort of displayed what that position could be like. Um, that that guy. So Mac, <laughs> let, let me ask this then. So I, I, it seems like when we uh, had lost one Del Robinson to Kentucky. Some of the chatter was that was that the UK coaches were trying to make the the point that that JD Spillman was going to be the duck R and Wondell, you're sitting on the bench, you're not going to see the field, and obviously we convinced him otherwise. Uh, it, how did they end up managing a little bit of that? If it, do they move JD out of that duck R uh, more this year to have Wondell and Miles Jones and others play that because JD could probably do a whole lot more than just the duck R position. I'm, I'm, I'm that's. I mean, obvious, I suppose. But, yeah. I mean, do you think that's a, a way to get more playmakers on the field? Yeah, I, I feel like that's just such a – if that was Kentucky's argument, you know, or they're, they're trying to, you know, put the seed of doubt, that seems so silly to me just because of how, how multiple and varied this offense is. Like, to, to say, like, well, J.D.'s playing my spot. I can't possibly get on the field. What are you talking about? You know, there's, there's like three other wide receiver positions and then everybody goes in motion or sets in the backfield or, you know, I, I, I do feel like 
JD's versatility this coming year will be that he'll know all of those spots, you know, so we'll move him where we need to be. So it allows the coaching staff to go ahead and make a little package for Wandell early and, and, and just sort of grow him into a role as we go while at the same time feeling out what Washington can do. And, and you know what Ramir Johnson can mm-hmm. do or and at the same time what Adrian Martinez can do. So, so yeah, I mean, it'll be what JD does is, he he gives you at least one solid spot across the 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 wide receiver spectrum that you know this guy's going to know what to do. You know it allows to open up for a Wandell, for a McQuitty, mm-hmm. for you know Cade Warner's out there. You know putting his thing down. Yeah. If any other coaching staff across the country wants to question Frost in this offense on how to get players out there get them snaps, they're welcome to do that. I mean, this offense here. You mentioned it, Mac, with how multiple they are from a formation standpoint. They're going to get big tight ends and they're going to get fast wide receivers and they're going to get running backs out there. They're going to, they're going to find ways from a formation standpoint. But the other thing is we're just going to run a boatload of plays and the more plays we run, we're going to get more guys on the, on the field. And I was wrong a few minutes ago. I mentioned how, you know, we only, a lot of times we'll just run a one back offense, but the reality is, I mean, we've run a lot of formations where we bunched, that we've had tight ends in there. We've bunched players together. We've I was going to say you were wrong, <laughs> but I was going to wait till we, the break. We've run power. You said we've something. run power. You know, power sets where we've had you know the equivalent of two or three running backs if you count Duck R's as running backs. Yeah, we've we we just we can do so many different things in this offense, and then let's run some tempo and run a boatload of plays. I mean, you're going to get your you're going to get your snaps if you if you show up in practice. Big Ten champs. <laughs> Sorry, what, what just happened? Uh, yeah. I passed out for a while. What, 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 what happened? What's your uh, what's your your odds on uh, JD be, uh, breaking Stanley's uh, single season record for yards next year, guys? I think it honestly just I, I think I, okay for me because I feel like early part of the season we'll still be trying to feel it out some guys. I think he might get some monster stats early that allow him to break it. As we develop guys along the way, he, he might. I, I don't. I, I don't want to discourage the the thought of that. I just think that last year we were so focused on only two receivers, and the stats showed it. I mean, those two guys were getting yeah. more attempts than everyone else on the team. I think that we're going to start to see a little bit of a normalization of that this year. Now, Spielman, to your point, he's still going to get he's going to get Morgan type attempts probably, but. I'm curious to see a guy like McCool. he catches so many swing well, passes, you know, that are just guaranteed. Just to to talk about that a little bit more. I, I mean, I think you're right. We had so much focus on on Stanley and JD last year, but and I, I do expect more more receivers to catch more balls this year. But if you we look at UCF stats uh, from 2017. Didn't they they have one guy that had like eleven or almost twelve hundred yards uh, receiving? So even when they were distributing the ball across yeah. a lot of hands, they still had one guy who ended up getting a, a, some really big stats. Boomer, maybe you can can so go you're look right, into that. Dave. The the thing that I I don't know that Spielman's that guy. I think Morgan's that guy, and and was that guy a year mm. ago. I think Spielman is a guy that's going to get a lot of touches in a lot of different ways, but I don't know as a wide receiver that he's just going to take over games the way that Morgan potentially could. I, mean, I don't know, though. It, it, Ohio State, he had a baller uh, game. I mean, he's had some monster You're right. Games. He ha- He's had some big games, may- and maybe, maybe I'm wrong there. I think something that's interesting about the, the, the offense as a whole is that I'm looking at the names right now of the returning players, and Mike Williams and, and Jerron Woodyard are two guys that are on the list here of receivers that are seniors, but – 
if those if one of those two guys aren't starting, we're not going to have a senior starter on the entire offense. And I can't huh. think of the last time that that's happened. But if if really if Williams or Woodyard or Missouri, I guess if we were going to go that wow. far, but I mean, there's not a senior on this offense that's going to be starting. There's no one on the line that's going to, and yep. so. But but what you have, I, I mean, Spielman's gonna he's PJ gonna get, Fleck would call us young. <laughs> yeah, we're young. <laughs> but I mean, to talk about some of the other players here, McQuitty is a guy that I, I'm excited to see what he looks like physically after this yeah. second offseason. Hopefully, the health is all there for him. He's the guy that, at least I think physically, he could be a Stanley Morgan type of player. Now, whether he plays to that potential or, or whatever, that's another that's another discussion point. But he at least fits a, a type, yeah. a, a body type that could be a bigger type receiver. You know, well, it is a question that was left from last season. You know, there, it's it's kind of one of those outliers. It's like, well, we really didn't develop anybody behind JD. And, and Stanley, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's never really addressed. Like, why didn't anybody else get better? Like Mike sure. Williams, you know, clearly in the mm-hmm. offseason, he was he was a weight and room champ, heck of a blocker. You know, and hey, jo- John Woodyard's go- he's winning track meets or he's placing, he's meddling, and so it's it is a little concerning that we haven't developed. It'll be interesting to see if there was if there was actually a reason to be concerned. If it was more of an issue of these guys just catching on, or is it a, a more of an issue of Adrian's ability to to that, like that might be where Adrian grows. Yeah. Is that these yeah, guys? Get that's more a good catches. point, Mac. Yeah, I think Mike's distributing the ball. Yeah. I think Mike Williams, his his blocking was outstanding last year, and that's an area of development. He did catch some decent passes for some some big catches at times. Woodyard's a guy that we need that speed, and you know, again, those are two guys. I mean, the clock Same is with ticking. Quitty. I mean, like a big body guy, or or like. The, the wild card I have listed here, Andre Hunt. Yeah. yeah. You know, he started to play a little bit last year. Really excited to see him in spring ball here. And then Cade Warner is the guy. And, Mac, you mentioned him a little bit before we started recording. And, like, and I've seen some of the same things I think you've seen where there's there's people that's like, well, what's wrong if Cade Warner, you know, is a is a big-time player for us next year? If he's catching balls, like, what's wrong with our receiving core if, it, if, if that happens? Because, you know, this walk-on shouldn't be able with all these other receivers to – to, to, to have that success. And I would just point to a guy like Hunter Renfro at Clemson yeah, and show that, you know, my guy, if, if you can run a route and, and you have, and you have adequate enough athleticism and you have great hands and can catch the ball, you're going to be able to play receiver at well, and any, the, the staff any school in the you, country. If the staff trusts you to do the right things yes. at the right times and not cost, I mean, cause think about how the first six games of the year went last year. There were so many mental errors. Like, that almost basically got Warner on the field. And then when he got on the field, he proved that he was okay yeah. out there. So, yep. you know, more power to him. That's the kind of attitude. Those are the grinders that you need on the team. Because if Warner isn't playing, here's the good news. If Warner isn't starting, then that means that the guy behind him not only outworked him, but has better talent than him. And that's what yep. you want to see. So, not... And a, couple, and a couple of those guys yeah. could be Darian Chase and Jamie Nance, sure. who are true freshmen that are on campus right now, too. So they no, are but added to that mix. The sky isn't falling if Warner plays. You know, it's like, oh, gosh, you know I mean? no. Gosh, no. I, yeah, think, the, I think this will be one of the more interesting position groups to watch during spring, though, right? We see if mm-hmm. someone can start really emerging there. So that, that's going to be fun. All right. It, good, as far as tight, the tight end part, you know, Kurt Raftall, Austin Allen, Jack Stoll, Katerian uh, Legrone. And Chris Hickman is here right now. He's yeah. the, the Omaha Burke true freshman. So there's there's good competition there. Again, I think that they're 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 moving towards, especially with getting a guy like Hickman, they're moving towards 
getting more athleticism in that room, but they they love the height that they have right now with Allen and, and Raftall. And Stoll really developed into a nice all-around tight end there. Uh, Legrone, I'll be interested to see what he looks like here in spring. And I mean, He's definitely be, the one that looks different to me. You know, like he's thicker. He, he's and, a little yeah. lower body. He seems like an explosive guy, but he's done, he doesn't have the length that a Raftall or Austin Allen do, no. does. But that, but Legron's one of the guys they actually recruited. So, yep. What? Who's to say? Well, and, and yep. but then again, you look at a uh, you look at Hickman, and he's kind of the longer, leaner type. So, who knows? Yeah, they're not short on talent though. It seems like that in that tight end room, right? I mean, it feels like there's a lot of guys and there. Youth. That could, a lot of youth. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Hickman, very young there. Hickman, <laughs> kind of like the the duck R and running back thing. Like instead of giving guys position titles, you get you look at a guy like Hickman, and what's the difference between Chris Hickman right now and Justin McGriff a year ago? You know, McGriff was a wide receiver, and Hickman comes in as a tight end, but they're literally the exact same body type right, right now. Now, how he develops and what he becomes a year and two years from now, I mean, we'll we'll find out. But they definitely. They, they love length just across the board. I mean, we'll talk defense next week, but they love length and, uh, and they love speed. <laughs> Those yep. are probably two things you can't coach, right? Yeah, that's right. True. Boomer, uh, did you have a chance to look up some UCF stats? I was just wondering, like, how many guys caught a significant amount of balls there in the Scott Frost offense in 2017? Well, 2017, um, of course, your main receiver was uh, Traquan Smith. He had a, uh, right. you know, over 1,100 yards uh, with 59 catches. So that's pretty solid. And then uh, the next closest on that was uh, Dredrick Snelson. He had 695 yards and 46 catches. So he had a lot of catches, but just you know, significantly fewer yards. Different role, and, though. Yeah. You know, and they distributed the ball quite a bit all the way around. I mean, you had guys like you know Otis Anderson with 30 catches, 350 yards. Jordan Aikens, 32, 515. Uh, you know, lots of guys. You know, were in double digits. So I mean, they they put the ball you know quite a bit around there. So. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, definitely could target and hit a guy for over a thousand, yeah, pretty regularly. So, yeah, interesting. All right, guys, uh, anything else with the the wideouts and tight ends? No, nah, I think I think All we right. covered that. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, go to the offensive line. Uh, we have uh, some returning starters here, some depth, and uh, should be interesting to see how this uh, unfolds. Uh, Honky, you want to start us off maybe with uh, the maybe kind of clear-cut starters on that offensive line? Yeah, I, th- I think one of, the, one of the big things to talk about is what happened in the middle of last year, and that was getting Bo Wilson into the starting lineup and how that kind of changes the, the, the outlook of this offensive line from a year ago to now. A year ago, we had all these senior guys right in the middle, guard, center guard, and we, we had these two young tackles. That was kind of the, the makeup of that line. And we talked about quarterbacks, how we change from one year to the next. Well, now you look at the old line this year, and now you've got your two tackle positions back. That's, that's key. These guys are now veterans. Hymas at, at left tackle, Farniak at right tackle. And then it's Bo Wilson coming in at, at, at guard, and now that he's a, a vet of six or seven games starting at least, you know, we're coming in with some experience there. And the other guard, we've got a number of guys that we can be going out of. You know, we have uh, Raritan, uh, there's Will Farniak could be in that mix, Hunter Miller, Trent Hickson. Um, there's a number of guys there. What's interesting to me is what we're going to see with the tackle position 
if a guy like Christian Gaylord or an incoming guy like Bryce Benhart, if somebody could could take over the right tackle position for Farniak, Farniak potentially could move into guard. It, it's an option. Mm-hmm. Um, Farniak, I think, would be just fine as right tackle. I think if we he'll be a better right tackle next year than he was a year ago if that's where he plays. But if we have somebody, and I, I'm kind of looking at Christian Gaylord, and there is, I mentioned earlier, the senior. If Christian Gaylord made that step up, mm-hmm. And was that senior right tackle for us next if year? Christian Gaylord was the divine Ozigbo of the <laughs> offensive line. The divine Ozigbo well, of the offensive line. I, th- I think it could open up some things. That so. was the name that I wanted to bring up to you, Honk, actually, is Christian Gaylord. I think I've read it a couple different times that he's had a really great uh, off-season workout <laughs> program, which I don't know how that actually translates to actually being able to go from someone who has barely seen the field to being our starting right tackle. But uh, mm-hmm. they're implying that that could could be possible that he's making some big jumps here. Uh, do you, I mean, that, that would be an ideal situation, right? Well, and, and that's, and you'll notice the position I didn't talk about right now. Cause I, I want to separate it for a second is center. Um, just talking in the guards and the tackles, I can see how these guys can move around a little bit. And, and Gaylord plays a huge role in this. Cool. If a guy like that, a fifth year senior could, could own that position. It gives us flexibility to now move a Gaylord or move a Farniak into guard. If something happens to a tackle, Farniak can always move back out. It gives you swing players. And I feel like we're really pretty solid at those left guard, left tackle, right guard, right tackle spots. I think we're really solid there coming into spring. But he, it's yeah. It's he, this other position that we're gonna he talk would be, about. He would be a complete game changer though. If if you got some some reliable quality play out of a guy who's been in your system for this long and never contributed. And I he's know, like what, six you know six? What I mean. He's big guy, right? He's yeah, got the tackle he was a big size. time recruit. You yeah. know, and it was, he was a guy that we should have been able to count on. And and you know, if we're being you know, if it's fair to say it about running backs, it should be fair to say it about the offensive sure. line, but the, he's been a disappointment. He is he is he is not Oh Gaylord. Produced. Yeah. Yeah, he picked us over Texas. I mean that I think right there, and he was a 500 mile radius guy, being or or a next, you know, a bordering state guy, being a Kansas kid, and we don't, we weren't, we haven't recruited a lot of Kansas, so yeah, it, that part probably has been a disappointment up to this point. But I hear a lot about the the Ben Hart coming in and playing tackle this year. I don't know how much I love that idea. I don't know how much. You know, when you talk about if if certain things happen, what does that say about your current situation? And and there's just not too many that I, when I work out in my head, that a freshman tackle sounds good. But wasn't to that a Hymus? Hymus was a freshman tackle. Yeah, yeah know, that wasn't that wasn't a great. good that yeah. wasn't a good idea. That was a that's a total Riley idea. But and you know what I'm saying? Hymus Hymus would be a better redshirt sophomore right now than he would be a true junior. Well, well, right, and I think do we want to have a freshman tackle when we have a sophomore All American at quarterback? You know what I mean? Like, do we like maybe yeah. maybe we wait to take that move next year? Sure, that's the magical his junior year, and 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 we've got this line played yeah. out. So I'd rather I'd rather protect that those sides with a I, with a Farniak who's played. I, but, I, but Gaylord is yeah is Gaylord Gaylord's the the game changer there because Farniak, I don't have an issue with him at right tackle. I, it's been more of the things I've read and I've seen online and 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 I've, I've heard more things about how Farniak is just naturally he'd be the the a guard, but I was fine with what he did at right yeah. tackle, and, and they 
and they the way they use their tackles in this offense, there's times those guys get out there in space where, where you get to see them one-on-one in situations, and they're blocking a, a smaller outside linebacker or whatever. So there's opportunities to see a tackle look like a fool or, or dominate. He's certainly and, and got I've the seen, to do And it. I've seen Farniak look just fine out there. Um, you mentioned length right there. One of the things, these four aren't here right now, but the, the incoming freshmen that we have, they're basically they're almost recruiting all tackles, and these guys will fall into spots. But you want length. I mean, Matthew Anderson, Ben Hart, and that Fritzky and, and Michael Lynn. I mean, if you're not, if you're shorter than six five, <laughs> yeah, know, that's good right. Good luck in the future. I mean, these <laughs> we're definitely getting height there, right? I think what we have to start to do is is start to transition over now to the to the the center spot, and this is where we. It's a legitimate thing. We've lost Tanner Farmer, obviously Cole Conrad as well. Um, it's such a key position. And we've got to find the, the next the next solution there, right? Cam Jurgens is somebody that I, I've made the statement before. I'm like, it, it's hard for me to imagine him being the guy next year just because that just seems like such a, a, a crazy whirlwind, whirlwind fast turnaround to take this guy that was a tight end kind of guy, athlete a year ago, and all of a sudden he's your starting center. But he's going to be right up there. He's 6'3", 270 right now, and who knows? He might be a little bit bigger than that now and he's going to be competing with like you know sophomore walk-on hunter miller uh sophomore walk-on trent hickson uh, the the interesting guy in this mix is the iowa western transfer joshua wagoner and he was listed uh he's 6'2 280 and was rated the number one junior college center by jcgridiron.com so he's a walk-on but i mean you know being listed the number one juco yeah. center there yeah. i mean between wagner hunter miller trent hickson Three walk-ons right there, and Cam Jurgens, your four-star. Who's your projected? Who are you saying starting? Oh, I mean, geez, I I, I can't even project anything spring, right I'm now. Start at spring. Start oh, at starting spring. spring. Oh, I, I'd probably say it's Hickson or Miller. Those Miller, he started spring, I think, last year when we had injuries. That's to, right. Uh, yep. To and then Conrad. after that, then how far below that would you put a Cam Jurgens? I I'd start Jurgens third. Or third or fourth, you know, like I probably would start him where Wagner is too. Kind of, and those, if you knew he was fully healthy, would that affect you at all, or do you, is that? No, it's just it's just that they're they're brand new to the position, and and at least Hickson and um, Miller on day one of spring, they've played this position before here, and you start off with them, but. But I mean, it's the competition is going to be wide open. Curiosity. I'm sorry. I was just saying. I was going to say athleticism and 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 explosion at that position are very. Not, I wouldn't say underrated, but those are one things that, that Jurgens has in spades. They they you love know that. I think like he might not be as big, but I wouldn't say that being a huge center is necessarily as important as being as explosive and athletic. I, I and, I would and those are things agree. that he he does have. So I I don't know that that that's a. I, like I, yeah. I feel like I want that to be more true than I necessarily know it will be. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Jurgens is like two ninety or something. It feels like I agree. Getting a lot yeah. of weight. I mean, uh, just just reference uh, Hickson and Miller. Are they both Nebraska kids? Uh, I believe so. Miller, I want to say, is a Stromsburg guy. Oh yeah. Um, and then Hickson. Gosh, I can't. I, I I'm almost positive Hickson's Nebraska too. And to I think kind of the point you're going there, Dave, is that isn't it amazing how important that walk-on program is? Yeah, we're looking we're looking at center and center also, by the way, could look different if Bland, uh, the JUCO recruit, if he actually makes it here, and we still have a kind of a spot open for him, but he's not going to be here in spring. So, but he changes the dynamics of that room. But without Bland, you're looking at some walk-ons and you're looking at at a 
uh, Cam Jurgens, who's a converted you know tight end because of the athleticism that the staff likes. So obviously, you know they're gonna they're gonna make do. They're gonna find find the the right guy. But I mean that that walk on position is, is crucial at Nebraska to building depth. Uh, as far as what Coach Austin said about uh, the center, he goes the biggest job for the center is to snap the ball, but secondly is to instill confidence in the guys to the right and left of them. So how confident they are in their calls gives the other guys confidence. It gives the guards and tackles confidence. That's going to be, I think, as important as anything. And, Mac, to your point about Jurgens, Jurgens is a – I mean, that kid's a tough guy, and, he's, and he's, he's a young guy. He has all this athleticism. One other thing is he's a pretty smart dude. And that's going to be, ultimately, I think, can you instill that confidence the way that, that, that Coach Austin's you know, mentioned there. The guy that shows the best coming out of spring is going to be the guy who's going to be number one going into the fall. That really will be a very interesting position battle to watch. Probably the most on the line, I would yeah. say. All right, all right. Good stuff, guys. Anything else on the O-line? Nope, that's it. All right, let's uh, call that a spring preview for offense. We'll do the same for defense next year. We'll come back here uh, with the mailbag. All right, hockey, let's crack open that mailbag and see what type of questions we have this uh, week. All right. First question comes from Mailbag Virgin Merle. Uh, and I'm assuming he's talking about baseball here because he's talking about northern teams. But uh, why are northern teams always so screwed? Uh, Boomer, <laughs> that seemed very vague, but uh, he might have been talking about Baylor, Nebraska getting switched to Waco. I don't know. I'm going to direct it to you. You're our baseball guy, or you and Dave are. Uh, why, why are northern teams so screwed? Well, I'm just uh, pleased to see Merle getting a shot there at uh, America Online. He's finally figured out how to make that work or however we're getting the, <laughs> getting the credit. Good job, Merle. Yeah, that has been a problem. I think it's been recognized in, you know, especially in baseball, just the the insistence on starting the baseball season in February, which I really don't understand. It, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, It's actually been pushed back. It used to be earlier. Yeah, yeah, it did. And it's just... It, it is a problem, and I think people recognize it. I mean, you're cutting a huge swath of the country that they just can't play a home game for months on end. I mean, I don't know if we're going to be able to play a home game here at Haymarket Park until June, the way this winter's going here. So, you know, and, and it's it's a terribly unfair advantage to a lot of schools. I mean, we already cede enough power to the South and the West when it comes to bowl games and the playoffs and everything else in football, and apparently we're, you know, been doing that with baseball. You know, there has been talk. I've seen, you know, certain, uh, you know, coaches and all the directors talk about it. Not even, not just necessarily, you know, Big Ten coaches, although they should raise a bigger stink than they do. But uh, I've seen, you know, TCU's talked about, you know, the need to push the season back. If only for the fairness aspect of it, but also it would make more sense to have it tied in a little better with Major League Baseball. You think of most other college sports you know you got college football going on the same time the nfl is you got it's football season everyone knows that you've got college basketball going on with the nba it's basketball season i mean college baseball's you know done before the all-star break i mean in most cases so i mean you've kind of half the season's gone it's february nobody in nebraska's thinking about baseball right now it's it's just not good marketing so boomer boomer what would be like an acceptable like how late can baseball go i i remember for some reason i remember like in college 20 years ago that the the college world series it felt maybe i'm wrong but it felt like it was early june and now it's late june so it's already been pushed back a little bit like how reasonably late do you think is still okay to be in college baseball season? <sighs> you know, I don't even know if it, 
if, is there any rule that would say it would have to be done by a certain point? I mean, I think you'd want it done, well, you know, before August, clearly, you know, because a lot of schools are starting to regroup and, yeah, you know, start August. school fairly soon on that. I mean, I don't see any reason you couldn't have it, you know, going to June and July. Is there any particular reason that that wouldn't be yeah, feasible? Right now it goes to late or, June. It goes to the last week of June because it ends like June 28th or something like that. And then they have the Home Run Derby on essentially the 4th of July weekend for the fireworks there at, at TD Ameritrade. So you could push it back potentially to a, a full month to late July yeah. potentially and still have, you know, and then spring football practice is essentially starting the next week essentially is what it amounts to. So, I mean, that's logistically feasible, I would guess. Well, when do, like, the little midget kids play baseball? Like, that's August, right? Yeah, yeah, they, they yeah. play that right into uh, – oh, yeah, it's definitely into August. I mean, they're, we're talking about football when, when Little League is playing. Sure, absolutely. But, I mean, I, I guess I would just, like, from a, a, mm-hmm. a seasonal standpoint, if you want to, you know, capture um, the, the most viewers and interest, et cetera, pushing it into August is when you're already starting to see preseason football sure. and that type of that stuff. And I don't know if you're really going to gain a lot from there. You probably get your maximum return by pushing it about a, a month out potentially. I, I, I think you have so many other interests uh, from the South and the West that are not going to support this that it, it's probably a pipe dream, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, I, I have nothing to say against the idea of pushing it back. It's just um, I just don't know if it will ever happen. Well, speaking of nothing to say, Mac, do you have anything to add? <laughs> no. Okay, thank you, Mac. <laughs> He's not the best color man in the country. <laughs> That's no a good one. Uh, I would honk just, I mean, to throw it out, just like Boomer always talk, likes to talk about logistics and whatnot. You have to think about this. Um, when Nebraska, let's say next year, suddenly we're like, Nebraska's, we're pushing it back a, a whole whole month and we're, we're uh, not playing the World Series until until July 15th or something like that. And so what happens to the Salt Dogs, right? The Lincoln Salt Dogs want that sure. stadium too, right? There's a bunch of other agreements that, that they use, you know, Michigan State has the same scenario where they have a oh, minor yeah. league team unit. So you, you'd have a lot of logistics where you're, like, losing a minor league team potentially in a, in a town like Lincoln because they don't have a place to play any longer um, because you're not going to push them out that much further. Uh, so there, there's some other things you have to consider. That's all. Yeah, and I guess since we're not going to have a baseball segment tonight, I, I do want to reference one other northern team that is doing okay. They just did okay against us uh, this last weekend, Dave. Uh, Nebraska went 0-4 against the Beavers. It was something we knew was a possibility. We talked about last week it's and disappointing, said if though. we could go 1-3, and that would be a success. Well, we didn't quite go 1-3. and I would point out there, to your point of how Oregon State does this as a northern team, besides the fact they don't get snow, they just get a lot of rain there in Corvallis, I suppose. They actually stayed down in Arizona for two weekends. They played the previous weekend down there. They did not go back to Oregon. They stayed down there and then uh, played the second weekend. I don't know how, though, they do that from an academic standpoint. They take online classes, whatever, but those players stayed in Arizona for full two weeks. That <laughs> yeah, makes a must difference. Have, must have done, like, online classes. Yeah. yeah, they did online the classes. System. With they could do with everything with the quarter system. Let's not get Boomer onto the uh, student-athlete no. discussion there. No, but I will say just with that series, you know, it was kind of disappointing. Uh, you know, we, we really wanted to win one of those games, and they had a legitimate shot in uh, game two. 
they really had a chance to win that, especially starting. We had, I think, the bases yep. loaded and nobody out in the first inning and didn't get a single run in. I think all three guys up next struck out. So, I mean, and ended up losing that game, what was it, 5-3, to three, I think? 5-3, that's right. I mean, so there was possibility there to win that game, and we got blasted in a couple of the other games. I mean, Oregon State's still head and shoulders above where we are, but yeah, there's are possibilities they, there. They just haven't taken it yet. So, Did, did you guys see anything that, that you, you can build off of? Were there individual players? I think you mentioned uh, Jackson. Uh, oh, what's Hallmark. his last name? Hallmark. What, Hallmark, I mean, you know, is there anything to build off of on, on some of the hitting? Did, did we have pitchers that, that showed well? Uh, well, Waldron, I think, showed well, like, in game two or three. One of the, one of the two, mm-hmm. he gave us, like, three or four innings in a row I saw. Anything, I that, say, like, anything to build off of? Overall, I mean, they were competitive in three of the four games, generally speaking, I would say. So, I mean, right there you can build off of it. I think you have to see some immediate improvements this week, right? We have – Another good opportunity. We're down in Frisco, I believe. Uh, there's several. Uh, we have Texas Tech. Uh, Boomer, help me out here. I think Sam Houston State and somebody yeah, else. Yeah, I think uh, is it Old Miss or Mississippi State that we play down there? So yeah, I think maybe Mississippi yeah. State. So they're, they're probably not. Although Texas Tech is ranked very high. Yeah, so well, we Texas only, Tech and Mississippi State are both ranked yeah. highly. So. so you, we get another crack at this, right? And if you've learned a few things from yourself playing Oregon State, Another shot, win one or two of these games, and you can uh, wash away the Oregon State weekend really quickly. You get swept 0-3, then you're starting to worry already. So, All right, well, Merle, we, we answered your question <laughs> and more. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Uh, this is a basketball question, so Dave, I'm going to direct it to, uh, to you. And uh, I know you're a UNC fan. This actually came from Sweet Caroline. Uh, she asked... <laughs> Uh, will we ever win an NCAA tourney uh, game? <laughs> ever? <laughs> yes, I think we will win a Never. game at some point. Um, win, I do not know. But, yes, I think we, we'll, we'll get there. If Northwestern can do it, why can't we? I, you know, for what it's worth, we asked this question on uh, Twitter and our first ever Facebook poll. Uh, over 400 votes, we basically asked what's the expectations that, that you have as a Nebraska fan uh, for the next five years. Just tried to keep it in, within that time frame. And basically 68% say same old, same old, and 32% say that they'll win an NCAA tournament game. So the fan base right now is at a point, and I think it was Dirk Shatlin, Chatlin that, that said, you know, that something along the lines of this could set us back five years, which I don't know what that's setting us back from. We're, we seem like we're nowhere close to going right now anyways. But in the next five years – you know what's the expectation and two-thirds of the people are saying that they don't they don't think we're going to make it yeah or win or win that first game i i don't know what to say to that i mean i i don't blame them for thinking that but there's no reason why we can't win one eventually right it's just a matter of getting the mm-hmm. right coach and the right players in and uh, we've made enough tournaments honestly i mean i don't know what the odds of making seven ncaa tournaments or whatever it is and not winning a game at um you know, Northwestern had never good, even Dave. made a tournament until they finally won two years ago. They hadn't made an NCAA tournament. They yep. make one and they win right away, right? We made seven of them and or eight, whatever it is now, and, and we can't win a game. So I, I think it's just inevitable. If you can start advancing to the tournament, you eventually will win a game. That that I understand. So 
You know, we, we've yeah. talked about this multiple shows in a row, and and I'm certainly seeing it with, with uh, sports writers now, too, is that this – I just I feel for the fans here. These fans, Nebraska basketball fans, deserve a, a winner. Uh, I think it was Jack Mitchell had a podcast, and he, he went off on that right after the, the last game of the Purdue loss. This team – we're all invested. Every – anyone that's a Nebraska basketball fan is invested. Boomer. You and I, back in 2010, you know, helped helped get the the, the the arena built by by going around and talking to businesses and at schools and retirement homes, trying to trying to get you know support to get the arena built because we want a winner here. We wanted the facilities, you know. I mean, we're invested. Dave, you and I grew up in Columbus and we're shooting hoops outside with listening to Kent Pavelka during That's games. Right. I mean, we've been doing. It, you yeah. know, we're invested, and, and we're not even – I wouldn't even call us the top-tier Nebraska ball fans. We've got guys like Beller, Mark, that listens to us. Uh, you know, Dave McGee's a buddy of mine. These guys, I mean, there are guys that are serious Nebraska ball fans that don't miss games that have shown up time after time. Nine-plus thousand people that show up in a, in a blizzard to watch a team that is, you know, just flailing. These fans absolutely deserve it. There's no doubt about that. And we're all invested, and the idea, the concept, this is we've been beaten down enough to where we don't think that in the next five years, 68% of the people don't think that we can even win an NCAA tournament game. I, I don't buy that, but we need, just like any other sport, just like we would have said in football two years ago with Riley, we need the right people in place, and, and, and they need the resources, and they need to, they've got, they're going to get the support. There's no question about that. You're going to have the... You're gonna have the resources, and you're gonna have the sport, in Nebraska. Go, go, make it work. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, hey Honky, I got a, a, a new mailbag question. Just came in, actually. I think it's it's football, so I'll address it to you. Actually, who's it uh, from? It's from uh, Tony T from Oahu, <laughs> uh, and he he asked you, uh, what does the D line depth look like next year, and are Runza's that good after all <laughs> <laughs> well i think i think uh, you know if tony t would listen to next week's show we're going to talk uh, more about the uh, the d-line depth but i think i think you know there's some some davis twins and deandre thomas and there's the uh oh the daniels brothers including a a transfer from oklahoma state who's who was a captain over there at nose tackle uh our depth is looking pretty decent. He's got some. He's got some Unless bodies. About to... Depth on the squat. Am I right? <laughs> We're not going low enough, boys. <laughs> uh, hey, when you got like eight plates on each side, but I, I think he's gonna, he's gonna have a lot to work with. And again, we'll talk about it more next week. But I'm really interested in some of those redshirt freshman guys, the the Wildermans and the Casey Rogers, to see how they start to kind of filter their way in. And and who knows, maybe a walk on or two. We talked about that so much on the O line, but. Um, I, there was an article. There was an article the other week about how many total linemen, offense and defensive, that we have now under Frost, and this is the most number. It's like forty-two or forty-three. Yeah, it's the yeah. most number of total linemen since no oh, two thousand ten, something oh, like yeah, that. I I but I mean, the numbers got really low in the trenches under Riley, and so um, yeah, I think uh, I think Tony T. Great, great question. Uh, I think he, uh, our new uh, defensive line coach, will have some bodies to work with. Excellent. Tony T says hang 10. So. Ah, uh, thank you. Thank you, Tony. All right, guys, uh, let's go ahead, Hunk. 
No, that that was it. Thank you very much uh, to all the people that that submitted questions. Uh, you can always contact us at at GoBigRedCast at Gmail, and we're at GoBigRedCast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Great, good stuff. All right, hockey. Let's uh, get out of here with some parting shots. What do you have for me? Well, did Boomer have a a, a, a trivia question? Oh, I can if you need one. I'm always prepared with trivia if you need. Well, it. You, uh, right, Boomer, yeah. you came prepared. Here's here's your chance. Well, okay, I'm just trying to help you guys out. So, uh, you know, with the new uh, Polynesian connection we've got here at Nebraska, I kind of wanted to look into a little bit of the past. And we have had uh, five scholarship players on uh, the Nebraska football roster in the past from the state of Hawaii. Can you name all five? Should be pretty easy. Wow. Rayola. Rayola. Finotti. Finotti. Tony Tata. I was going to say Tony Tata. Junior Tagayo. There's four. Yeah. Ooh, what's the fifth one? Uh, this would be uh, George Darlington had the connection out there, right? He he worked Hawaii. Oh my goodness! It's all linemen, obviously. Yep. Do you have any? Seppo Airway? No, no, he was like from the... Germany or something. Finland. He was from Finland. Finland. You're right. Via very similar to Hawaii. Laurel, Nebraska, yeah. via Finland. Boomer, could you give us a? Do you happen to know what like the time frame would have been like? Uh, I know I think those he came in around two thousand four ish, if I remember right. Okay. How, I know how, how many consonants are in his name? <laughs> a lot. You know, yeah. He's got a lot of vowels too. You know, it's... even hmm. had a hyphenated last name if that helps you. So. Ooh, a hyphenated. Oh, last name. oh, was he uh, offensive lineman? Um, yep. Was it Wald Wal- Waldrop? No, no. Oh, no Dan no. Billy Waldrop. No. Oh. Wasn't Dan Billy Waldrop? Nope. That does sound interesting. All right. Well, then I'm. I guess I'm it well. You got you got four to the five. The fifth one we're looking for is uh, Cornelius uh, Fuamatu Thomas. So there you go. Also <laughs> wow. from Honolulu. So that, uh, uh, very good. Giving me hours. Yeah, that would have been a while. That one I didn't know either. So I'm I did glad spend you some cut... time just researching the Nebraska Hawaii history. You know, we played them a few times. Not the most exciting series ever, but they did actually beat us once and. What's been described is probably the most embarrassing loss in Husker history, and after kind of reading about it, I might have to agree. So we lost to them, I think it was 1955 or 56, here in Lincoln, after beating them 50 to nothing the previous year. They came in and won 6 to 0. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they brought a total of 28 players. They had no scholarships. <laughs> their starting quarterback had broken fingers, so couldn't play. And God. outside of their head coach, the entire coaching staff was made up of volunteers. So that... <laughs> <laughs> might well be the worst loss in Husker football history, folks. So you can talk about any other game you've seen. That might be the one. So that's that's you know, pretty the, bad. The, the image uh, in my mind of, of Nebraska football in Hawaii is, I think, actually, the, after the game of the century, we played Hawaii in oh. Hawaii as a, a, a 12th game or whatever. And... Uh, Johnny Rogers is getting interviewed like at poolside, right? I mean, it was so classic, right? I mean, like the, that would never happen today, but he's just oh, like no, totally lounging, no. just chilling out, getting ready to play the, the <laughs> Rainbow Warriors <laughs> poolside who, who, the Hilton. I'm like, wow. Who was the Chiefs quarterback smoking a cigarette and having a fresco? Glenn at the half, Dawson. Glenn Dawson. Yeah, halftime yeah, of the yeah, Super Bowl. I yeah. that was, yeah. Yeah, things Same. have changed. <laughs> was great stuff. Uh, all right, now we're ready for parting shots. Honky? Uh, speaking of basketball, um, one of the things I want to talk about just briefly is that in anytime we're talking about a, a coaching change, one of the negatives about Nebraska is, is the local recruiting and how hard it is to recruit here. And I'll just – I want to give a congrats to Mike Dom, 
who's the first Nebraska native ever to score 3,000 points in NCAA history, and he's doing it for South Dakota State. There's a very good chance at the end of the season he's going to get drafted. And if he gets drafted, that would be, when you add that to Kyrie Thomas and Justin Patton from the last two years, that would be the third straight season NBA draft where a Nebraska native has been drafted. Uh, in the case of Patton, a uh, you know a lottery pick. And so, you know, what that tells me is that what I've always said with Nebraska basketball, the state of Nebraska, get your best kid every year. Do that four years in a row, and you're going to have four of your 13 guys on your team. Get the best kid every single year. And, uh, you know, so anyways, congrats to, congrats to Dom. That's a great, that's a great uh, uh, stat, and would have been nice to have some of those points here in Lincoln. Yep, I hear you. All right. Uh, Mac, what do you have? Um, I would just like to uh, request that Mother Nature just chill out for a little while. Don't say that. No, no, don't use that word. No. You get it. You win. It's always you. <laughs> and then, you know, for my fellow motorists, it doesn't take very long to push somebody out of a snowbank. Go ahead and help some people out along the way. It would just move traffic along nicely. So avoid hills if you're rear-wheel drive and consider getting your tires changed more frequently yeah. that just, is all just good manners yep and boomer uh well i just wanted to give a shout out to uh the nebraska men's indoor track team winning the big 10 championship the other day so first time they've done that in a few years and uh to uh, coach gary pepin who actually won the uh, big 10 indoor track coach of the year and i would just like to remind everybody that if this was the only championship we'd ever won in the big 10 that would still be one more than rutgers has ever won in any sport in the conference so <laughs> ever in any conference ever. yep Oh, uh, that's good nice. stuff. That's uh, amazing. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, let's call that a go big red cast. Go big red. Here we are.